Welcome to Empowering Chats with Susan Burrell. This is where I help strong, capable women excavate the inner garbage in their life so they can become more confident and have more clarity on who they are and how they really want to be in the world. We have rich, juicy conversations about, yeah, you guessed it, empowerment, but also about radiating your brilliance and loving yourself more than you ever have in your life. And who doesn't want that? So join me now for another empowering chat. So here we start another month, July, and the topic under the heading reemergence for 2022, this topic for July is growth, growth. Uh, So here's what growth means. The act or process of development, a gradual increase, development from a simple to a complex stage a natural process, growth. So what I know to be true, and you can ask yourself this, is that we are all here on planet earth to grow. And I would add evolve, but that means that we have to be consciously aware of what that natural process is. Where do we want to develop? What areas of our life do we need to develop or slowly increase? What areas of our life do we need to become consciously aware so that we can not just change them, but grow in a happy, positive way to grow our inner awareness, our inner connection to source energy, to grow our relationships in happy, healthy ways that are, that's a natural process, not a forced process? Where do we need to grow in order to be more in service to humanity? Because that's my dealy do being in service to humanity, if you haven't gotten that yet. So growth, something to think about again, love when people think and love when people grow. Enjoy the shows. So you guys, this, (laughs) I have no doubt this is going to be a a really amazing conversation today uh, because I think that the information that this author is bringing to us is um, actually, it's pretty timely. And um, I think it's powerful information that anyone will receive huge value and benefit from. So I want to welcome Michelle Neff Hernandez. Thanks for joining me. So good to be here, Susan. Thank you for having me. It's I got chills. I got chills. <sighs> so uh, Michelle is the author of a, a new book called Different After You. We're going to talk about that title right there in a minute. But the rest of it says Reco- rediscovering yourself and healing after grief and trauma. There's a book, everybody. Um, so Michelle, you are a widow you know, and it, and it seems to me, my, my current spouse is a widower Mm -hmm. and it seems when you've crossed that threshold, uh, you know, unwillingly, but there you have it, that that is something that is, it's not, it's not like a, it's a title you will always have. It's a, it's a, a designation that you will always have. Right. Absolutely. It's not like a being a, a missus and then you get divorced and now you can be a miss or, you know, whatever. It, once, once that traumatic event has occurred, and I, I say traumatic because it is, it, it, especially if it's a sudden 
death, like you experience, then that, that there are those particles that are always with you. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I also think Susan, that it's interesting to note that any traumatic experience we live changes us fundamentally because it teaches us things that we didn't know before. And even if we didn't want to know those things. And so, right, that would include divorce. That will include any other kind of traumatic experience that we have lived through that changes the way we walk in the world because we know something we didn't know before. And so, yes, absolutely. I will always be widowed. I will have lived through being widowed. And though I am currently married, um, and a lot of times you'll hear people will have a kind of little struggle with how could I be a widow and be married? Um, But like you said, I've lived through an experience that changed me and I will always be my late husband, Philip Hernandez's widow. Um, because we were married when he died. And so um, that is a part of me. It will always be a part of me. And it's a part of me that I'm very proud of. Well, and and it sounds like from uh, reading uh, parts of your book that it was, this was a journey. And I, I'm all uh, on empowering chats. I'm all about journeys because we that's just the truth of living on planet earth. It's a journey. And, um, and this, your title different after you is, to me, profound, because that really is the truth. You're different after the death of a spouse. Different, and that's, and that's different than the death of a parent or a child. It's, it's, there's different components. But the beautiful thing I think about the title is that I, I ask readers to define the word you for themselves. And mm-hmm. so for me, different after you means different after having loved and grieved my late husband, Philip. But at the end of the book, I also talk about my dad who recently died. And so also different after the death of my dad. And so I ask readers to really come to the book with an understanding of a particular experience that's changed them. And so the definition of you is very broad and gives people the opportunity to decide for themselves. Um, one One of my friends had an experience of violent attack and so her you in this different after you is the violent attack that changed her. Mm-hmm. And so each one of us is changed many times, as you said, life is a journey and we're going to be changed over and over again. The work of the book and my hope for the message that people take away from it really is to be able to allow the things that change us, that happen to us to change us rather than fight against that change and try to try to pretend like the things that hurt us don't also change us because I feel like that's a swimming up up, upstream kind of experience. We are changed. And and the sooner we're able to acknowledge that, the better able we are to take what that experience has done and allow it to be a part of our life rather than pretend that it's not. And then we don't waste all that energy trying to not be different, right? Not changed by what we live through. It's pushing against the, uh, well, you just said it. It's kind of, it's, in life, and I, I'm a ripe old age, uh, I found I'm finally surrendering that it, it's life becomes better and juicier and sweeter if I go with the flow of change because life is always dynamic. It's always, it's not static. And, but I have, and I, I'm attempting not to, I have resisted change many times, you know, to the point where, uh, I almost died, uh, becoming a type one diabetic. I would, it was moments, you know, because I just didn't want to change. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And so something mm-hmm. that is a traumatic mm-hmm. experience gives us our, our um, opportunity to really surrender. Yeah. Right. You have to surrender. And then in that surrender there, there is in my experience, at least please share There is often uh, eventually a realignment with yourself and with life. Yeah. Well, and here's the other thing for me is that when, you know, a lot of times when we go through something horrible, our goal, we set ourselves a goal of going back to how we used to be. Oh yeah. And, and that's the trouble is that we set ourselves up for failure. When we say, I'm not going to be changed by what happened to me. I'm going to be exactly who I was before, which is impossible, but you'll see this, especially for grievers because people will say to, to someone who's grieving, but when are you going to go back to yourself? Like, when are you going to be normal again? When am I going to recognize you again? And the message to grievers then is you are less than you used to be. You are making me uncomfortable. And I want you to go back to the comfortable version of you that I know. But yes. the truth is we've lived through something life altering and you're not going to be the exact same version of yourself. And the, but, but the beauty of it is, as you said, there is opportunity. The, the struggle, I think, for most people is that when the opportunity is packaged in an ugly, horrible, awful experience, it's difficult for us to say, oh, there, there's the opportunity in there. And if we accept it as an opportunity, then we think that we're somehow valuing what happened to us. And so I like to separate those two things and say, when my husband died, it was horrible and it was not something that I value or value now, but what came after his death, what I learned from his death and what I grew to be because of his death is very valuable. And so the bad thing is still bad, mm-hmm. but the rest of it's optional, right? Like mm-hmm. the bad thing happened. That's not optional. What is optional is what comes after. And that's the hope with the book is to help people take steps to rediscover who they are. And rather than try to go back to who they used to be, begin to value and respect the person they're becoming. Oh, I love that. Begin to respect and value the person they're becoming. And, and, and that's true of anybody like you were sharing about your friend. That's true of anybody that's gone through some horrific trauma that they're trying to reset. And And in my experience and watching what's just happened, you know, globally, there is no, you can't go back to normal because normal has been eradicated. There's no normal. I've been talking about this for a few years now there. So there only is the new and, and change is what brings us into new and becoming. I love that. I think the other piece of it, I'm so glad you brought up the the last couple of years because I've we have lived through a global trauma, a community trauma, and our own personal trauma all simultaneously. And each one of those things, we learn different things about our world. We learn new things about our community. We learn things about ourselves and the people with whom we share our lives. And so we can't go back. There's no going back to knowing, not knowing what we know now. And that's, that's one of the chapters of the book is, you know, you can't unknow what you know. And that's why these kind of changes, these kind of experiences fundamentally change us because we've learned something we didn't know before and you can't forget it. And so next time you have a little cough, you know, are you immediate, you you start your brain, right? Because we've all lived through that. So immediately we're like, wait a minute, what's that? 
we will think differently about the way we are in the world. We'll think differently about how germs are passed. We'll think differently about things. And those are just the small things, right? Those don't even touch the big things that have come with this experience. And so I like to start with the small because people can be like, oh yeah, I cough now and I wonder if I have COVID. Um, and, and, you know, we didn't, we, we never would have thought that before. No. And so it's, it's just that everything we learn alters our perspective and that altered perspective is a part of who we are. That is developing every day, right? Every time we have a new experience, we're developing, we're continuing. And as you said, if we can understand that this is a lifelong experience and not just, you know, we're going to know who we are and that's the person we're going to stay, you know, the stagnant, that's, it's impossible. No. And yet we continually set ourselves up for that by trying to go back to past versions of ourselves. But even when you think about weight, think of, you know, think about your body as it ages. So many times people are like, okay, well, I'm going to get back to that way I was when I was fill in the blank. I'm going to be more like the when, who I was, but, but my message is, who are you today? And what's right. valuable about who you are and the present version of yourself? That's not to say that we can't evolve and, and can't continue to improve and change, mm-hmm. but it's to say that in the midst of that, we have to learn to value who we are right now. And, and as you're saying, that value shifts according to how our perspective shifts by experiences that we're having. Or stories we're running in our head, right? And the stories we run in our head is what what keeps us stuck, especially if there's been trauma. It's hard to unhook the story. Mm -hmm. If I had been there, maybe he wouldn't have died. If I had, or whatever. If I hadn't said that thing. Well, and so even when you talk about it like that, right, then that continues to reinforce the narrative that the new you, this version of you, not that good, you know, But, and yet when I, when I looked at my own experience, I was parenting a blended family of six. I had two jobs. I was interviewing widows all over the U S with the intention of writing a book. I ended up instead starting an organization in all that time. I kept wishing I could go back to the better version of myself. So this version of myself is getting up every day, doing all of those things, let alone maintaining relationships with the people I love and continuing to be a part of my community all the while, all I wished for was to be back to the better version of myself. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned from that is how common it is whenever we've experienced a traumatic thing that we didn't want, we didn't want this thing to happen. And so to get away from it and to push it out of our, our, our screen, right? Push it off, off stage, then hopefully it won't continue to influence us. The truth is it's part of who we are. And as long as we keep pushing it off stage and not giving it a place, it's, it's got to be a player in our lives. If it's not a player, then it's over there trying to get on stage over and over. And you're going to spend a lot of time pushing it off, pushing it off, pushing it off. Again, it's that emotional energy. How do we want to spend it? And well, we and it's to welcome it. Right. To welcome it. And it and um, it's it's interesting to me because what as you're speaking, Michelle, what I'm hearing is that the better version of ourselves, right? That what, who we thought we were at that moment of transition, at that moment of trauma may not be the better version of ourselves. It's, it's so we romanticize who I was before because the trauma and the shock is so jarring that it's almost like there's a, a disconnect. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And we can take that right back to the, 
idea of our bodies. You know, when we looked at our 20 year old selves and we're not, not remember how great I was when I was 20. And when I was 20, what was I thinking? Like, you right. know, I wasn't thinking I was all that. So it's, it's the sense that, you know, we, we forget to be present for ourselves and allow the changes to be a part of who we are and to value that piece. And I, a lot of that, I think for me, comes back to this idea that, you know, when something horrible happens, the best thing we can do is, is try not to let it influence our lives. And I think the opposite is true. We have to allow it to influence our lives. That way we can process it. And it doesn't keep fighting us to come back and be recognized. And when we processed it, we have to develop tools and coping techniques that are going to serve us later, that will be a part of what we can do in the future. When my husband died suddenly, I learned a lot about grief. I, I then went on to create an organization that serves widowed people. And so I had access to all of these different people's perspectives. So fast forward 16 years, and when my dad died of a, a longer term illness, I had skills and tools that helped my family that were developed in the worst way. I, I didn't, you know, but the horrible thing already happened. Right. That's a given. What came after did serve me and serve my family and serve my dad at a time when we all needed that. We yeah. needed me to have those skills. And the fact that I did, it's a direct result of my husband's death. And to, to be clear, I'm not saying because I've been told so many times, oh, I see Phil died so that you could go on and help all these widowed people. And I, I, I reject the idea that Phil's death was happened in order for me to do good things. Phil's death was its horrible own self. And I went in to go, to go do good things afterwards. Those are and, two right. separate things for me. So, right. You, you're the one who made the choice, not, mm-hmm. not Phil, right? You made the choice. Well, and not his death. I, I think the thing for grievers, especially, is that if someone were to frame the death of their person to be positive somehow, oh. right? So, I mean, let's take it to what you talked about, the death of a child. Like if someone tries to frame your child's death as a positive, you're, you, you immediately start rejecting anything positive. So I like to separate those two. Your child's death was horrible. And what came after can be positive, right. but they are not intrinsically connected and giving value back and forth. Because when we set it up that way, it makes it so hard for grievers to say, okay, yes, I can say my child's death was good. No, I can't say my husband's death was good. I won't. I will say that what his death taught me changed me in a really positive way and gave me tools that have been extremely valuable throughout the rest of my life so far. And I know I'm going to be able to count on those tools going forward. Yes. And you're sharing those tools with others. Yeah. So give us an example of one tool that you, if you met somebody, well, I know you meet a lot of um, newly widowed people. What's, what's one of the first tools you give them to support them? The very first thing I always tell every widowed person I meet is to be kind to themselves. And that may sound trite. And I know for them, they always are like rolling their eyes. Mm -hmm. But I say to them, you know, we hold ourselves to impossible standards over and over again. You are going to be newly widowed one time. This is the only time you can be kind to your newly widowed self. And if you can learn that lesson early, then you have the opportunity to to walk through this with more grace than you would if you are constantly holding yourself to that standard and telling yourself you're not doing it well enough. So the very first thing I say is if your best friend, the person you love most in the world, 
were experiencing exactly what you experienced, how would you treat them? Treat yourself like that. Yeah. And one of the things you, you say in your book is it's important to grieve your, who you used to be, not just grieving the, the person that transitioned, yeah. but grieving yourself. And, and, I, and I think grieving the, the possibility of what life was going to be. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Not only for grievers, for anyone who's experienced a trauma. Like, you know, when I think back to my, my, the self I was before Phil died, that she was very uh, optimistic. She thought everything was going to work out beautifully, naive in a really beautiful and fun way. Um, and I miss her. And 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 I also value the the person that came after her. But it you we have to be able to grieve who we were, what we thought was going to happen, how our life was supposed to play out. We have to make space for that, not just for grieving the person who died, which is its own experience, but also grieving the person, the version of us that died with them or died with the experience that happened. So, for example, going back to my friend who had an attack, there was a version of her that safety has completely changed. And she mourns the person who felt safe all the time. Right. Of course she does. So we have to make space for mourning the version of ourselves before we can begin to value it. We need to be able to say, I miss that and identify what are the things I miss? What parts of me died that day or in that experience that I really loved and wish could come back, but understand they can't and they won't because you know something you didn't know before. Right. Um, And that, that, piece right there for me when I was looking at your book, um, it didn't really dawn on me that, you know, I've, I, I've been with people, I, I, I uh, conduct memorials and celebrations of life, and I've been with the grieving families, and, and, um, <clears throat> and they're grieving the person who left. But that, just reading your book, the, that gives me a bigger perspective that they are also grieving what they had with that person, but who they were with that person that they don't know in, in the current experience, are they ever going to be able to be that person again? Right. And the answer to that is no. Yeah. They won't. And that's the part that has to be grieved. And oftentimes it takes a while to get there. Like at first, the grief for the person who died is so big and consuming, yes. but there's no room for understanding anything about yourself yet. But as we move through what we begin to, you know, we can get confused about what we're grieving. We're not only grieving the person, we're also grieving the version of ourselves that died with them. And so having that come to coming to an understanding of that, I think it does two things. One, it allows us to be broken. We can't heal unless we are allowed to be broken. You have to first break something to heal something. And so when we create... And when we, when we reject that, when we reject our brokenness, then we don't give ourselves, what is there to heal? If I'm not broken, then there's no grace for healing. And so the first thing we have to do is allow ourselves, yes, I am broken, to make space for healing. But the other thing that it does is it allows us to understand that there's space for new. And we have to be able to first acknowledge the brokenness, because if we don't, then there's no space for a new thing because we're saying we're exactly the same. Swimming up that stream, trying very hard. Right. Right. And you're not exactly the same. Can't be. You Uh absolutely cannot be. 
So that's, that's really, you're kind of describing my father. My mother passed away a year and a half ago and they were married. I don't know, 50, 60, 70, I don't know, years. And, um, he was devastated. Mm -hmm. It was a sudden death. He had been living the last 15 years trying to keep her from dying, like falling down, hitting her head, that kind of thing. And, um, and it was a gift that she died suddenly because she was declining rapidly. So what I'm noticing in, in the following months and year now uh, is my father is coming back to who he ultimately is. Uh, it's still grieving. He still misses her incredibly, but he's, he's a completely different person than who he was worrying and stressing and trying to be her caregiver. And uh, so what would you say to those people that are um, holding on to grief and, and wanting to, you know, and he's 88, wanting to ultimately can't wait to get there, you know, can't wait to get back to be with her kind of thing. Well, and here's the thing. I think one of the, one of my favorite parts of the book is, is encouraging people to ask questions. And so for as long as we're here on this side of the rail, Mm -hmm. we are going to have a life that we have to live. And so what I encourage people to do once we've acknowledged that we're broken, we're grieving the person we were to start asking questions. Do I like the room I'm sitting in? Oh yeah. What do I like to do? Where do I like to eat? Is the answer I'm going to the same Mexican restaurant because that's where we always went and that is what my partner used to do? Or do I actually like the food here? And is it because I'm coming to be comforted, which is a fine reason to go? Or is it because I really enjoy this kind of a taco? And to just start to slowly ask ourselves questions, starting with the space around us, because that's easy. Stretching out to the ways we spend our time, because that's also easy. And then going to the bigger question of, as I began to understand who I am in this new space, what does this mean need to have a meaningful life? Yeah. However much longer I have left. I, I and- so enjoy that you brought that up because um, I have a brother-in-law whose spouse passed and they were very, very close. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was checking in and offering support. And during the course of the months after following that death, my brother-in-law began to realize, oh, he doesn't have to eat the food he always ate Mm -hmm. that he really didn't like, but he had to eat it because his spouse had to eat that kind of food. And he's Mm -hmm. like going, and, and he used to be a rodeo uh, writer and he, so he's going to rodeos now. And he, he decided he's going to buy himself a pair of cowboy boots. I I get a picture of new cowboy boots like every (laughs) other month now, you know, and And he, but it took him, you know, he was grieving deeply Mm -hmm. and then there became this dawning recognition that while his spouse is on the unseen side and they still communicate, Mm -hmm. uh, he has many more years of life and how does he want to live it now that he doesn't have to define himself because he's in relationship with this other person. So it is a, 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 place of redefinition and asking yourself, what do I enjoy? What do I like? And I remember Michelle, when I was going through divorce and I was in deep grief and devastated and broken and 
people would say, well, what do you enjoy doing? I was like, nothing. (laughs) Shut up. Well, can't you just forgive him? Or can't you just be happy? No, because right now I am in grief. And and I got to be in grief before I can move into, okay, who is Susan now? Because it is divorce is also a trauma. Divorce is absolutely it's like I I say it divorce is like a death, but you have a live body still. (laughs) And well, the other piece of that, I think, too, is, you know, again, is the acknowledgement, right? Your divorce changed you. Mm -hmm. You know, things that you didn't know before about relationship, about survival, about what you needed. And so then you grieve what was supposed to be, what you thought was going to happen. And then without those two key elements, we can't yet then step into who can I be? You have to start by acknowledging the brokenness, grieving what was, and then beginning the process of discovery. And, And the problem is that, especially for grievers, again, they they sometimes associate the pain with the love. And so they get confused. I'm in pain over my person equals I love my person. Not Uh the same thing. Uh I am in pain over that person. But your brother-in-law or your your brother-in-law getting new boots, that doesn't mean he loves his wife any less. That means he's building a life for himself. But what often happens is the people around him start going, oh my gosh, did you see the new boots? Uh-huh. Uh, three pairs of boots. He I, heard going, I heard he's going to the rodeo. Like, what do you think is happening to him? And if he allows their consternation over what his choices are, maybe they never knew that he always loved the rodeo. Right. And so for him, it's a return to something he loved. For them, it's something they never even heard of, didn't know he liked, and can't believe he's doing. So we also put ourselves in a space when we're recovering from a trauma of needing to reintroduce ourselves to the people we care about. And the people who really are supportive and part of your life, which we also talk a little bit about that in the book, how to identify how those people are, who those people are, are going to be willing to get to know the new you. Mm-hmm. And if they aren't willing to get the, know, the new you, then they probably need to step aside until you are strong enough to decide, do I want your feedback or don't I? And are you going to be able to be a part of the life of the new me? Because the new me is not optional. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And especially if, if you're someone like yourself who has, you know, multiple decades stretched out ahead, you do get to reinvent your life and, and um, have more of it. I also find though that it's interesting because older people who have less time left um, also get a lot of pushback. If they start changing things, People are so used to them being who they are, also used to them being with the person who um, they were married to, that they really struggle with um, a new version of an older person. It's like, what do you mean? No, you don't like that. Wait, but how do you know if I like that? Right. And so, you know, that's the, the, the trouble for the people around us is that when you're, you've survived a trauma, you've been changed. The people around you haven't been changed in the same way. And so they are going to be unfamiliar as you are, right? We are also unfamiliar with the changes, but we have to learn to become familiar, then to find out what this new person needs, then to start providing a meaningful life for the new person, which may or may not look that different from the other life. That's the other thing I like to remind people of. This is not change for change's sake. If you ask the question, do I like that Mexican restaurant? And the answer is yes. Then you go right on going to the Mexican restaurant. The only thing I'm asking people to do 
is be willing to consider. Am I still fill in the blank? Do I still like fill in the blank? If the answer is yes and yes, then those two things stay. But if the answer is maybe or no, then holding on to that just to prove that you're still the same person mm-hmm. is damaging only you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, in regards to my father, you know, he's having a hard time making changes in his physical environment. Yeah. You know, the clothes mm-hmm. are still in the closet. It's been a year and a half. The, the, the chair is still there that she used to sit in. Nobody in the family will sit in that chair, mm-hmm. but he, you know, so he finally moved the chair, you know, just one thing. And, and I know because I'm an energy healer, I know that the energy in the apartment is already beginning to shift Mm -hmm. and just moving the chair. Doesn't, it's not, uh, moving the clothes out. It's not erasing that individual. It's just supporting the survivor in, right. in beginning to kind of move forward. Well, and it's also true that everyone needs to do that in their own time. Right. And so, you know, for some people, they can't stand looking at the clothes from the minute their person dies. Got to get them out of there. For other people, they're comforted by having them there 10 years later. I measure whether or not those kind of experiences are holding you back based on the life you're living. If you're living life and you can't leave the house and the clothes are still in the closet, then you got to ask the question, are the clothes in the closet limiting the way I'm living my life? Mm -hmm. If instead they're providing comfort and you feel like this is a way to stay connected to your person and you have two other closets and you don't care if there's clothes in that closet, then that's completely up to the person who's living that experience. So the other thing I think that's difficult about processing trauma is there's no time frame. It's not like someone can give you a map and say, it's going to take you this long. You know, here's all your steps. Instead, it's a lifelong process that continues to bring up secondary losses that continues to like, I like to stay, you know, stir the winds of grief. You know, when something comes up and you can kind of just feel that wind shift, it helps you be aware that this is a, this is an experience that's going to continue. One of the things I love about the book is that it's something to come back to. I didn't write it intending for people to read the whole thing and then feel like, okay, that was, that was a good book. Right. It's a book that's supposed to make you think, and that it might mean that you read one chapter and go like, wow, okay, I don't know about that. And then to me, what that says is it's not time yet. So come back and read it again later skip ahead, read a different chapter. It's meant to be able to give you the space to find your pain points Mm -hmm. as you're healing Mm -hmm. and be able to say, okay, maybe this piece right here, maybe I don't want to acknowledge that I've been changed. Right. Okay. Well then that's where your work is. Maybe I'm not done grieving the person that I was. Okay. Well then that's where your work is. And maybe I'm not ready to imagine that's okay too. It's really just laying out a path and saying, take a look at this. And think about how your experience fits into this. Mm-hmm. And then ask yourself, be willing to ask yourself the questions. Because I feel like that's, for each one of us, that's the part where we begin to, to understand the changes when we start asking the questions. Yes. So later in the book, you talk about um, embracing possibility. And, be, and then that helps to begin to dream, mm-hmm. right? I think death or trauma... Uh, suppresses our creative ability because I believe very much that we co-create with spirit. And so it it does suppress that. 
so then be coming to the place where you can dream again and, and imagine and all of that, even if you're still grieving. While you're still grieving, which you most wow. certainly will be one. And two, I think that the, the thing that I discovered was the, the biggest barrier for me on all fronts was always fear. And for me, the fear piece around dreaming was I already had a dream and that dream died. And so what's the point of dreaming another dream when I know that that dream could die too? Right. Wow, so that's a big, that's, that's a big, a big one. And it's a whole chapter in the book is about the fear that keeps and, and it right. It's a pretend security blanket mm-hmm. because what I would then do is limit myself, my interactions. So in order to be able to write, keep myself from being too connected only to discover I was connected anyways. And that instead of keeping out the fear, I was really keeping out the joy because yes. I'm so afraid of the joy, more afraid of the joy than the fear. The fear felt normal. The pain felt like, you know, that's my old hat every day. The joy on the other hand was terrifying. And, and I'm so afraid of losing it because I didn't want to lose it again. You didn't want to lose the joy. Was there any, um, att- any bit of uh, guilt associated with feeling joyful? Sure. Not only guilt, but, you know, the fear of more joy, meaning less Phil. So like, I was so afraid that if I built a whole different life, Phil was going to be back there in the background and I was never going to be connected. And so this idea of maintaining a connection to your past, which I talk about in the integration piece, allows your past to be a part of your present and to shape your future. And when we allow that symbiotic relationship between past, present, and future, we provide ourselves with the most stable foundation for growth because we have access to what we've learned. We are planning in the moment, using the tools of the past for a future that is for the person we are today. And of course, every day we change past, present, future, past, present, future. It's a part of how we live, but so often we're encouraged to think of them separately and not to remember that they interact with each other every moment of our day and certainly throughout our lifetime. Mm -hmm. So then Michelle, how, uh, you said you built uh, some organizations. So one is Camp Widow uh, and the other one is? So Soaring Spirits International is the organization. Camp Widow is a program of. Um, Soaring Spirits International is a nonprofit that is serving widowed people and helping them rebuild their lives. So our focus is always sort of um, a forward motion for widowed people in community. So we provide a peer network that supports people through building a new life for their new self. Uh, Camp Widow is an event that is held in four different locations. Um, We also have a Camp Widow pop-up, which is a one-day event. So Camp Widow is a weekend-long event. It's held in Tampa, Florida, San Diego, California, Brisbane, Australia, and uh, Ontario, uh, Toronto, Ontario. And then we have uh, the one days, which this year will be in Denver, Colorado. Again, the whole purpose of it is coming together. It's like a blend between a conference, a retreat, and a high school reunion. <laughs> we try to add elements of all of those into to the program um, where people connect with others who are walking the road of widowed life. We use a very broad definition for the word widow. So anyone who's experienced the death of someone they thought they were going to spend the rest of their life with is welcome in our programs. And uh, since our inception in 2009, 
well, our, the first event was 2009. The organization started in 2008. Um, we have supported over 4 million widowed people. Oh my goodness. That's, yeah. that's phenomenal. That's just, that's so awesome, Michelle. Thank you. It's been a privilege. It's a privilege to be a privilege to be part of their lives. It's a privilege to be part of their healing, you know, offering this opportunity. Really, I always tell them they're the gift. They're the gift to each other. The organization brings us together. We provide the resources and the tools, but then our hope is that we create a safe space for them to connect with each other. And when they leave our events or leave any of our online programs, they do so with a friend. And that friend turns often into a lifelong friend who is going to be a part of their support network. Yeah. Yeah. Which is necessary. I'm big on support networks. Yes, ma'am. It's important not to, we're not meant, human beings are not meant to walk alone, especially through traumatic events. It's it's important that we have support networks and people that, like you said, the peer network, people that have gone through something similar, then, then they can, you don't have to explain yourself to them. And they also provide you with a different perspective. I always tell people, if you yourself and you are the only ones you're talking to, (laughs) then you only have the one perspective. And it's so easy for us to fall into narratives that are hurtful to ourselves. And so when we are engaging with other people who have a similar experience, telling our stories and getting confirmation that, that what we're doing is hard, that how we're feeling is normal, that other people have experienced similar things, the narrative for ourselves changes. And we begin to be able to be influenced by what we've heard. In fact, I wrote the book based on a, so much of what I learned while serving other widowed people. So it's in part my story, but it's in large part their story and what they taught me as we grew together through the experience of widowhood. I just want to say, Michelle, thank you so much for the work you have been doing and, and for your quest through grief to really come up with, well, I want to say answers, but uh, skills. More questions than answers. <laughs> skill sets yeah. that help deal with. Th- thank you so much for all that you do and all that you are. It's, it, it is a gift to so many. Thank you so much, Susan. Yeah. So the book is different after you rediscovering yourself and healing after grief and trauma. And Michelle, we're, uh, if people want to get involved with camp widow and, and soaring spirit international, where did they go? So soaring spirits.org is where you will find all things soaring spirits. And then Michelle Neff Hernandez. I spell my name with one L Michelle Neff Hernandez.com. You can find everything you need there about the book. It'll also lead you back to soaring spirits. If you get lost. Okay. And the book is available on Amazon and every, all those other places. Absolutely. All the other places as well. Right. All the other places are good. You guys. Yes. Indie (laughs) bookstores, go to your local bookstore. If they don't carry it, ask them to carry it because it's awesome. I love having it in the Indies. Yep. 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 So thank you so much again for, for doing everything and being here with me today and having this conversation again, it's a gift. So I am just going to end with, and so it is, namaste. Well, that wraps up our empowering chat today. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, go to susanborrell.com. You can see all 
of the information about my new book, Live an Empowered Life, a 30-Day Journey. You can also access guided meditations that I have on Insight Timer through the website and just see what else is out there on my site that you might find empowering and exciting to experience. You can also contact me through the website at susan at susanborell.com. So that's it for today. See you next time.